24-7. Ruckus Avenue. Exclusively on Dash Radio. All right, what's up, everybody? You're back with a conversation on Ruckus Avenue Radio and Dash. Uh, my name is Abu Bakr Khan, and today, look, I'm in Stratford. Is yeah, that where we are? East London. Stratford, East London. I don't know how I made it here. <laughs> but you're here. I'm confused, man. It's been a journey. Um, I just spent the last 10 minutes uh, with my brother Safe trying to figure out the audio, so just, it's been a journey, man. That was the first impression you got. <laughs> well, you got it up and running now, so we're all good. It works, man. So uh, today in the studio we have, or in Safe's apartment, which is the studio now. It is a studio apartment, so yeah, yeah. It works. It so works. We, we got Safe, how do I say your last name? Siddiqui? Siddiqui, yes. Safe Siddiqui. Yeah. Um, man, I've been hearing about you for a while. Uh, which is why it's so interesting that this is happening because I remember a few years ago um, I had seen uh, this thing online where you take a photo and then it, it, the paparazzi would get annoyed because you would kind of disappear. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy how, shout out to Guide, but he made this happen where he said, yo, there's a guy named Safe. So uh, this is how it goes down. Okay, this yeah, I want to know, know this story. Yeah. Yeah. He messaged me, he said, there's this guy named Safe. I said, I said okay. I said, this guy's been doing some incredible work. I said, okay. And I looked into it and I said, no way. I've been hearing about you for a while. So he said, we got to get him on the show, man. We got to do it. And the more I started researching uh, about the work that you were doing, man, the more I realized, holy crap, that uh, you're not just doing uh, the clothing thing. There's, there's a huge vision that's there. Um, and this might be the medium. So that's what I want to talk about today, man, was your journey, first and foremost. Uh, yeah. Right? Uh, how did this gentleman that's sitting in front of me get all the way to Stratford and uh, get all the way to trying to solve people getting a light bulb at their home. How did all this happen, you know what I mean? So I want to begin, man, where are you from? Um, I'm born and raised in Amsterdam, in Holland. Um, Look, I'm a guy from Canada. All we know about Amsterdam is marijuana. So that's pretty think. much all you gotta know. No, I'm joking. Um, though we have we have like tulips and cheese, that's a Dutch thing. Okay. Um, Holland is a, it's a great country. Amsterdam is the capital. Lovely city. I suggest anyone. Now that you're in Europe, I think you should definitely go down. It's an hour away from London. Um, people are just mad cool. Everyone's chilled. Uh, ask people that have been to Amsterdam before. Everything is just like... It's mad. It's, it's very chilled. My family's out there. Um, How did they get to Amsterdam? So, my dad's Indian. And my mom is from Suriname. From where? Suriname. What's which that? is um, it's a country in South America above Brazil next to Venezuela and it used to be a Dutch colony and um, we had a lot of family in Holland back then and then they met in Holland and, and that's that's where the romance began that's where the romance began yeah and they're still do, do you know how how that went there it was it was actually like my aunt I think yeah it was my aunt who uh, who introduced them to and they just fell in love and ever since that they've just been they, they can't be without each other uh, it's yeah. it's mad amazing to see like parents this day and age especially like like there's a lot of stuff happening a lot of divorce a lot, a lot of people, yeah. yeah but to see my parents like deeply in love still I'm like okay that's that's pretty nice you know what I mean that's really cool to see um, it gives you hope like, yeah. yeah somewhere I'm like if I could achieve well I, I could potentially achieve that if I try it what are the differences between someone from where's your mom again from Sur- Suriname Suriname South America yeah. and India were there a lot of I guess they must have had a lot in common uh, yeah well Suriname it has um, it has a bunch of different nationalities and there's a lot of Indian influence there as well and um, yeah there's there's a lot in common Basically, I mean, I, I don't want to get into the whole uh, 
Suriname background with with the Dutch and how I was colonized and stuff like that. But yeah, we are sitting in Britain right now, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, these guys are the best at colonizing yeah. the capital C. Right, yeah. brown people here, Indians. So yeah, I'm Indian, so I decided I need to go back to my mother country, England. So yeah. now I'm here. <laughs> I love that. It's like, what is my mother country? It's definitely England. It has to be. England. It has to be. Yeah, this, this is my first time out here. That's um, crazy. And that it is crazy for sure. But I went to India last year, and so I Have got. You've been to India before? Yeah, I went last year, um, and it was incredible, man. That was, was your first time. Yeah. Okay. I, I lived there for five years. Where? In New Delhi. Okay, hold on. How old were you in <laughs> New Delhi? I moved there in. 96 yeah. yeah 1996 till 2001 how old were you around those times i want to say like 12 like mad young and then i went to like the american embassy school i didn't speak english so i went to india to learn english what were you speaking before dutch dude i don't know how to speak dutch man i don't know much about it so that was what you were fluent in yeah i was and fluent you- in dutch so i was born and raised in holland then i was about 10 11 uh, went to India, lived there for five years. You went to India to learn e- English? Well, meet the family and see my dad's side of the family and learn about the Indian culture. And uh, because we were like growing up in like this Western country, my dad's like, well, you know, we should see the other side of the world, really. And funny enough, that's sort of that sparked what I'm trying to achieve today. Because me living in India, uh, you would sit in places like this and like, light would just disappear like there would be no electricity no energy for like entire like regions yeah like total blackout and then the candles used to come out and then you hear like boop, 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 like these generators, generators. And shit, you know what i mean like that would just like turn that's on. if you're balling if you're balling you got to generate then you got to generate yeah yeah yeah. i bet it's different now i don't know but yeah back then you heard you were like holy crap those guys are doing all right yeah they're living good yeah they're living good out there in these blackouts, saving themselves. Uh, yeah, so I uh, I sort of picked up on this whole like energy poverty firsthand, coming from a Western country. So it really impacted me to go, how is this normal? Like, how is everyone just cool with it? You know what I mean? And I remember at one point, like I was with the family, we're driving, my dad was driving, and um, turns out there was like this blackout, but we're still driving. And it was like black for like, I don't know, maybe like 10 minutes while we're driving. And then we saw like a, 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 a what do you call them? A light post? Yeah. Uh, yeah. A light post like, and there were like two kids like sitting underneath it in the middle of the night doing their homework. Like in the middle of the night, just because yeah. there was light in the middle of the street. So my dad gets out, you know, like gives them money and like talks to them and stuff. And to me, I felt like it really like impacted me. Like how could people live without light? Like... It blows. It's a basic human necessity to have light, to have in energy. In the world we live in, in now, the world yeah. we live in now, and um, yeah. So, a few years later, like now, I'm like, why aren't we trying to solve this worldwide problem? Working together with like all the potential that we have. We have internet. We have Wi-Fi. We have podcasts and like our phones. Like it's crazy. All the stuff, the technology stuff that we have is crazy. Yeah, there's seven billion people in the world, and one seventh doesn't have light, and the other billions of people are just like whatever, you know, like we don't care, or there's nothing we can do about it, or you know, there's other drama that comes along that isn't really drama, and I don't know, people just like to complain about stuff they can't fix. 
It's always man. It's uh, when I was actually thirteen, I went to Pakistan. Yeah. So I lived there for a year as well. Right. Um, and it's interesting how formulating that year was for me. Same. Right. Yeah. It's, if if you had stayed in uh, in Amsterdam or in, like if you had stayed there in Holland the whole time, you never would have seen that. Exactly. Right. And it, your perspective opens up immensely. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's it's fascinating you say that because load shedding is a big thing. Yeah. That's what they call it. They're load shedding. Load shedding, yeah. yeah. And uh, whenever there's a big prominent politician in a city, what they do is um, they make sure that city's got electricity for a while. Right. And then, but they don't, you don't realize that when they're getting all that electricity, that means that they're shutting down electricity in other places. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's, it's fascinating, man, yeah. because you're right that we take, you know how it is when you, in the world we live in now, I remember when I was younger, the candles come came out. Now it's if the electricity ever goes out, it's you, your phone's light. Yeah, you mean yeah. you have your you have your uh, yeah. flashlight. Everyone's got a torch. Yeah, everyone's yeah. got a torch. But before it was like you said, it's like, oh shoot, what do we do now? Yeah, um, and it, you don't realize it though, right? I think that that's that's very true. And I think the fact that you had that at that young age, man. Yeah, the story you just told me where these kids were doing their homework. Yeah. So would you say that again? That a lot of these kids that you know how they're just they're not even able to access. Like education is so much harder for them just because they don't have those resources. Yeah, I mean, imagine living in a village, not have like, like you know, less fortunate, and um, you have to do your homework, but you can't because it's dark. So there's like they use kerosene candles or like normal candles, not good for your health either. Like, your eyes, yeah, exactly. You, you know, know what I mean? Yeah, inhaling it's it. It's terrible. So I'm like, how are these kids? Be one, you have to do homework, which freaking sucks. <laughs> And then you gotta do it in the dark, yeah. which sucks even more. You know what I mean? I'm like, like there's a, if there's a way to make homework worse, that, that's <laughs> yeah, the way. take away lights. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they uh, can't even use it as an excuse, though, right? They can't like not doing their homework. Yeah, they can't use that as an excuse. No. A light because everyone, no one has light. Exactly. So I'm like, I don't know. It's it's like a there's this time switch. There's like change that's happening, and I'm like, well. I'm from Holland, right? And in Holland, solar energy, solar panels is very normal. Like the same way in Denmark and Germany, solar panels are huge. But when I go to other places in the world, including LA, yeah. like when I'm up in the hills and I'm looking down at all these like massive villas, out of like the 50 villas you're looking at, there'll be like five with solar panels. Oh bro, no one's talking about solar panels. The only guy that even talks about solar panels would be in LA, the, the people, that would be Elon Musk. Elon Musk. That's the only guy that anyone ever pays attention to. So I'm like, why is solar panels not a cool thing? I don't get it. You know what I mean? So but why is it not a cool thing? I think people just don't know. They're oblivious or they're, they just, they don't care. Because everything is given to them so easily. Yeah. That people just take it for granted. I think that's the thing. Um... But if you look at the billion people that really need it, they really don't take it for granted. So my plan is to make any solar panel power before all of this. Yeah, because that's like I know there's so much that has happened before any of this, man. Yeah, I know you have the big vision, but it's after these five years in India, New Delhi, you see this moment because you know how I realize life is a, a series of moments that get you to where you are now absolutely yeah. that moment happens yeah you see those kids you take it in you internalize it what happens for you afterwards like you go home like what i'm uh, what happens to you afterwards in delhi um i think it was like it was five years of learning and picking up 
like coming back to Holland after living in India for, for five years. What was that like, man? That was a culture shock and a half. Like when going to India was a culture shock. Well, how I mean? did people treat you there or the kids? In India? I was the the foreigner, you know. I felt white. I was like the the foreign kids. I didn't really no. I didn't speak English either, so I had to learn that there. I didn't speak Hindi. Didn't speak Urdu. So I had to learn that there. And then all of a sudden, you know, it was like five years of learning. I think it's one of the most amazing things that my parents did for me to take me there and show me and my brother and sister for us to just like see it and live it. Yeah. To really understand, like you can go there on a holiday. But it's not the same thing, you know what I mean? Like if you're really ingrained in like the culture of the, the city or country or area, that's where you really figure out, okay, this is what it is. And then you go back to Holland and there's no more butlers. We didn't have a driver, you know what I mean? Like it's you, everything, <laughs> you had everything. Everything is taken care of, man. Everything. everything, you know what I mean? Especially being a Western and going there, everyone's like, they treat you differently. Well, what color is the Dutch passport? Uh, it's like a maroon. Maroon? Yeah. Because they talk about the old blue passports with people from America and Canada and things like that too. So it's by virtue of just having a passport when you go there, you're right, you are treated differently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? You have that privilege, immense privilege. We all may look the same in a sense, uh, but you have that privilege. And you also, just going back for a second, um, when you're there for vacation, it's a totally different ballgame. Yeah. You go to the usual spots, you will see like, let's say if you're Sikh, you go to the Golden Temple. Um, if you're Hindu, you go hang out at Akshardham in New Delhi, you'll go yeah. check out the temple. Uh, Muslim, you know what I mean? Just you, and then you go see some family, you have some chai with them, a yeah. bunch of chai. Yeah. And then you go shopping. Some more chai. Yeah, yeah, oh dude, the chai never ends. <laughs> it is like, oh, let's grab another, oh what? It's three o'clock, we've had seven cups of chai so far. Like, <laughs> Wonder why I'm so jittery right now. Yeah, yeah, man, you're like super anxious, but then, uh, and then you go for a wedding. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's you kind of give some money to some of the poor kids you you know you feel bad they're going through this and then you leave yeah but you're saying five years it's you're you're there you're there and the crazy thing is i went back to holland knowing that it's still there and yeah. that is the moment that just blew my mind like even now like we're sitting here in 2019 in east london but on the other side of the planet africa india this is happening. Like there are kids in the middle of the night. It's middle of the night there now. They don't have any light or you know what I mean? Like there's no kerosene candles. That's what they have in their Hudson villages right now. But you know how it is the whole concept of out of sight, <laughs> out of mind. Yeah. Right? If it's not affecting us, it's not affecting, um, it, it doesn't exist. Exactly. I think that's a big thing is the fact that our parents took us to the East coast, to the East to be able to realize there's a whole world out there. Yeah. Whereas let's say we're someone that, uh, we're some kids or some people that have been living in London their whole lives. Yeah. You know I mean? And then when you do go to a city or when you go traveling, like you're saying, you see the nice parts of it, you go as a tourist. Yeah. That's a huge thing right now in the world we live in too. We go to the tourist places like Mexico or Thailand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We just go there, we see all the nice stuff. All the fancy down. cool resorts. Yeah. Great, Thailand was great. <laughs> it's such a wonderful country. <laughs> I love that place, yeah. And then it says you leave. Yeah. So what are they supposed to really do then? I think they, you're, would you say that the, the first thing I guess is in for <clears throat> education or what's what should we actually, because I want to ask you this afterwards, mm -hmm. because still you are going back to Denmark now. Is that was it Holland? Holland. Holland. Holland so, yeah. See, I'm gonna, I'm an American. I mean, you're American. It's Denmark, it's Holland, it's all the same, same thing. I'm still learning. <laughs> when you go back to Holland, yeah. What's the culture shock there? Um, 
I mean, getting exactly what you said. The fact that out of out of sight, out of mind, it was like it didn't exist. People didn't really care. It was back to the Western world, the culture. It was looking at stuff, hearing people complain about stuff that weren't actually things worth complaining about. What types of things? Oh man, Holland. Holland is very particular about a lot of things. So. Like any tiny little thing blows up in the media and is like the biggest thing ever. Um, you got to talk. What kind of tiny? Oh thing? man, I, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to get political, but there's a lot of like politics and like. Um, okay, wait. Let me think of a of an example. Um, well, I mean, in comparison to what's happening in India, it doesn't fucking matter, does it? Yeah. Sorry, am I allowed to swear on this? I don't know. It's okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. Whatever the Western problem is, whatever problem you and I are having today is nothing in comparison to a problem for someone in Africa, which is not having any food, mm-hmm. not having access to water, not having light, not having you know health, no education. Those are the real problems. Would you say that over here the problems that we have is that we may have we do things in excess? Yes. Right. So we do I have agree. food, and we eat like we eat four or five times a day, man. I take it for granted. Like, yeah, bro. Are you like today is Ramadan right now? Yeah. It's like people are. Fa- I'm learning this. Uh, Jack Dorsey, the Twitter CEO. Right. He started doing this thing where he doesn't eat for three days, eat or drink any water for three days, and people are saying, "How? What is he doing? Oh my God! It's a. He has a. Uh, what's it called? A uh, uh, eating disorder. He's like, no, I'm just. We don't need to eat that much. Our bodies are so comfortable now. Yeah. Where we in, in America we have massive portions, but. I think that's what we do is we have access to these things and then we do it in excess and then we end up having those consequences as well. Exactly. Like, you, again, we take it for granted. Like, if you fast the entire day, once you have anything, you're like, oh, my oh, God, this, this is, is the so best good. water in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, so good. it's so good. Have you ever had this water before? Like, but that's, that's exactly what it is. Whereas if you're drinking water all day long, You'll like leave the tap running. Like you're like, oh, I don't really care for it. You know what I mean? It's because you've been having it all day. But if you don't drink water, that first sip tastes so good. Or if you're really hungry, you're in a restaurant and the waiter's taking ages. The food's just gonna taste better and better the moment it hits the the table. You know what I mean? Remember what you're saying when I was working on the audio? I said, "Good things take time." <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> then you're right. It's the patience aspect of it. Absolutely. Um, I was reading Jeff Bezos's book actually recently, uh, The Everything Store. Uh, and I learned that Amazon's big thing was like, what do you think Amazon is their business is? Like, tell me what you think. What are they in the, the business of? Everything. Okay. Yeah. I think, um, it's, uh, how would I put it? Anything you want to purchase through your phone. Yeah. <coughs> instantly. So they, inst- let's talk about that instantly part. Yeah. All right, because the more I read about it, the more I realized Amazon was in the instant gratification market. Yeah. They want you to get it, like you said, right away. So right that away. makes people less patient. And then it just right away, when you click it, you know it's going to come. So I agree with you. I think that we take all of it for granted because, again, in the Western world, we don't have to see how much a cup of coffee really costs. Yeah. How much it costs the, the, the farmer or the packaging or... The, actually, have you listened to Patriot Act? Have you watched uh, Salman Hajj's yeah, show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did, he did one recently on uh, Brazil. I don't think I've seen that he, one yet. He talked okay. about how with Brazil, the rainforests are, are getting burned. I don't think I've seen his, but I think I watched a documentary on it. What did you, what did you find? 
was it was it the axis of beef and the price or something like that? As, uh, all, all compounds, all of it together. It's just that basically uh, the business aspect of it is, uh, you know what, um, they need the land for these cows to graze because we're consuming so much meat. That's why they're burning down all of the trees in the rainforest. All right, so I'm just saying that it's uh, when we have that McDonald's burger, yeah. let's say that beef burger or that halal burger, or whatever, we don't realize it. Oh my God, um, this stuff is coming from somewhere. From somewhere, yeah. All right, I think that's where you, like you and I are having the open perspective of, like going back to when you went to Denmark, you're like, you couldn't see it. God damn. Man. That's all right. You're all right. It's fine. <laughs> fine. I'll go back to Denmark. Whatever. Wait, where, 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 is, where is Denmark? Denmark is like a Scandinavian. <laughs> that's fine. That's cool. That's the Copenhagen. No, you, you can call Canada America, bro. It's the little, it's the little sister of America. Oh, man. You, you can make fun of it. But yeah, no, I, mean, I love Canada. I don't know. I love Canada. It's a little sister. But you were, when you went to Holland, yeah. you're having this uh, identity crisis? Yeah, you could call it that, maybe. Because I'm, I'm Indian in Holland. There's not that many Indian people in Holland, to be honest. Um, so I did have a moment of like, how do I fit in? Yeah. Who am I? But after going to India, you sort of like figure it out. And then living in India, where you realize there's over a billion people, and then I'm one of the billion people that went to Holland. So I literally am one in a billion. You know what I mean? I'm like, holy crap, I'm one in a billion. Like out of all those people, out of all those brown people in India, to go to Amsterdam, it's me. Yeah, you know like, I mean? you're the one. I'm the one. You won the lottery. <laughs> I won the lottery. You know what I mean? Oh, I mean, my parents, they worked for it. My dad worked for it. They, they managed to get us. My dad has a mad interesting story of getting to Holland himself. So with his brother illegally, got yeah. sent back twice, worked overnight because he didn't have a roof over his head. Like my dad's been through some stuff. So seeing my dad be able to build a family, build a career and raise us, sort of, um, it's amazing to see that, you know? And that gives me the power to like, do what I do. And I'm like, I can't complain about stuff. My dad's had it worse. His dad had it worse. And now we're just like building and yeah. Yeah, man, that's a powerful thing. I think being the children of immigrants, yeah, right, is seeing the struggle that they had um, and pushing the bar forward, right? It's the most powerful thing to witness as a, as a kid, see your parents go through that and, uh, and win at it to the level where we can go to school and they can do stuff for us. And you know what I mean? I'm like, we, we have it pretty good. It's a lot of privilege, man. Absolutely. It's an immense amount of privilege. And yeah. that's why, what happens for you then once you're out of high school? What were you passionate about during that time? What was that, what, sorry? What were you passionate about during that time? Like, uh, were you drawing? Were you into fashion? What was going on? I was, I always knew that I wanted my own business a business that would help as many people in any shape or form. So whether it was in fashion, I would want to like make something that helps someone through that jacket or yeah. through the trousers, you know, it would like help you in a way, Yeah. any functional way. And um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to create my own business. I wanted to, I was passionate about like a lot of creative stuff, drawing and, and all of that was definitely a thing for me. Um, my dad's always been in fashion, so that I think that's where that angle was. What was he doing well. in fashion? Um, so my dad, he basically does a lot of uh, factories, like he works with a lot of factories, he produces a lot, 
we have a lot of friends and family in India with uh, factories, so we help and supply other companies with products, but in the masses. Yeah. So a lot of like importing and exporting from India, Portugal. My dad does like London and Paris, like all the fashionable cities as well, quite a bit. Um, my dad's had a lot of stores in Holland himself. So I was a kid, like growing up around trade shows and like the fashion shows and like photo shoots and the stores and like, you know what I mean? So I've always been around in that like fashion sense. Um, but yeah, that was all my. How was that going to all these fashion shows as a kid, man? Man, that was amazing. It was awesome. Like, because, yeah, I don't think there are a lot of kids of people in fashion that like really grew up with it now or maybe now but back then it was it was not as much but i, th I thought it was great so were you was... one of the youngest people at the trade shows yeah all the time <laughs> everywhere everywhere i was always the youngest. i remember being like 13 14 when i was 15 i started like modeling for all these people and like all these brands and stuff i was like oh this is great i love this you know so you you had a fun time modeling then yeah why? Because I was a brown kid in Holland. I didn't have any competition. There was, was no like, one else. There was no one else. Everyone was blonde and blue eyes. So every single time they needed a brown kid, Aladdin looking type, I don't know what it's called. They were like, oh, call Seth. Uh, now it's changed. Now there's loads of different, there's diversity and all of that. But when I was like 15, 16, I was the only brown modeling kid in Holland for sure. You were just the one in a billion man. You were just hanging <laughs> yeah. out. What the hell? Yeah, it was really cool. It was really fun. I mean, it sounds like I was the only brown person in a white country. That's not, it's not that bad. Yeah, yeah. But I was trying stuff. You were yeah. trying the modeling. And then, so with fashion too then, what were you doing? Were you creating anything at that age? Were yeah. you making any stuff? Yeah, hand making stuff. Um, I started trademarking stuff at a really young age. I started patenting stuff when I was 16. How, what, how did you learn about pants? Um, my dad. Yeah, he was like, write, if you have an idea, write yourself a letter, stick it in an envelope, post it to yourself, and don't open the envelope. It's like, if ever someone has your idea, you can take that envelope, go to court and open it up in front of court and be like, look at the date, you know? And that would like, that sparked imagination in my head. So I just ended up like sending letters to myself, like idea on idea. I'm like, I want to do this. This plus that equals this. I'm the only one that did it. This is the date. And I'm like mailing packages to myself, like post after post after post. And yeah. That's, that's all you need to do. I have never patented something like that's all you need to that's do. That's a very like, um, it is a way, there is some legality behind it. It's yeah. not the official way. You gotta go patent house, you gotta get lawyers involved, you gotta like buy the rights for a country, region, worldwide for a particular time, yeah. in a different sector. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that, that comes But back it. then it was send but a letter. Send a letter, that's that's basically what it was. You know, there's a stamp on it, keep it sealed. And that was basically it. Do you have any of these letters still? Yeah, they're all in Holland. Yeah. Yeah, pretty epic. <laughs> and they're closed, yeah. so I don't even know what half of these are, imagine. <laughs> Uh, so you don't even want to look look back at them. Maybe open them up. If you open them up, then they're then it doesn't count anymore. Because it like the idea is you open it up in front of the judge or at yeah, the court yeah. and be like, yo, look, it's still sealed. I sent this to myself back then, and now this person's claiming that it's their idea. You know, you never know. Maybe somebody has been using a bunch of stuff, and you don't even know. Huh? Oh man, I don't know. No, I don't know. Uh, 
Um, but yeah, no. So that was like the the childish way, I'd say, of doing it. And Dude, then, hold up, that's insane though. You had the creative stuff from the fashion industry, mm-hmm. from going to trade shows, being a model as well, mm-hmm. and on top of that, you had the you saw what trademarks, how to do trademark patenting. Mm-hmm. That you you had a whole business school education alongside a creative education before you went to university. Yeah, <laughs> I never thought about it, but I guess so, yeah. Like, because you pick up on it, you have more, you know how it is when you go to school, um, we, we don't really get any experiences. My, I knew it, I had a feeling, I said, there has to be a reason why Sif is like, why you are, the way you are in a sense, you had such a good foundation too. Oh um, yeah, I think so. You worked really so. hard too. You're the brown guy on the stage, <laughs> and you're the brown guy at the post office. <laughs> so like, okay, you're in high school. High school ends. What did you do in university? Um, so I uh, sort of like co-founded a company. Um, then went to university here in London. Did you co-found it in high school? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And this is high school out um, in Holland. You were doing high school there. And when did you go to London? Uh, I moved to London in 2007. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 2007. That was twelve years ago. Holy crap! Um, <laughs> you don't you don't think about it until you look. No, back. yeah, you're like making me go through this timeline right now. I'm like, oh yeah, um, yeah. 2007, moved to London. Um, hold on, hold on. Let's take a quick break before we dive into you going to London, man. I want to hear about this. Let's do it. All right, everybody, listen to the conversation on Ruckus Avenue Radio Dash, and we'll be right back. The most compelling talk show programming is on Ruckus Avenue Radio. What's up, everybody? You're back with a conversation on Ruckus Avenue Radio and Dash, and I'm here with my man, Seth. Damn, dude, you, you moved to London 12 years ago. Yes. What was that like from Holland? Well, it was like a, it was like a movie moment where I was, I was in Holland, and then two weeks later, I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm moving to London. I need to get out of Amsterdam. I feel like I've done in Holland what I could do. You hit a ceiling. Yeah, I hit my ceiling, I'd say. Like... Yeah, I was like, after a while, I was like, I need, I need something bigger. Like Holland or Amsterdam's only got like 800,000 people in the city. I was like, what's the next big thing? And I was like, New York. I need to go to New York. For fashion too. Just for life. Yeah. Like fashion wasn't, yeah, fashion was always a passion and something that I really wanted to do, but I just wanted to like start a business and be a startup and be an entrepreneur and be my own CEO and be my own boss and decide what I want to do for myself and not wake up for someone else. And you know what I mean? Yeah. That was the goal and that's the target and um, I was like I need to go to New York but being the brown person that I am I'm too tight and close with my family I was like oh New York's too far yeah. the, t- the time difference I can't I can't deal with it so I was like okay 9 million people in New York hey there's 9 million people in London it's only an hour away let me go to London yeah so um, yeah flew out I was at the airport no idea where I was going no, nothing planned I didn't even have a house planned Nothing. What did your parents say? They're like, all right, Seth, he's leaving. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a cool moment. It was like a yeah, it was a very cool moment. I remember they dropped me off at the airport, and they were like, "We're always here for you. Um, it's not like it's not a step back to come back, um, but go and explore, go and go and find and learn for yourself. Like be your own person, and you know." How great was it having them behind you, man? Oh man life-changing like I think that's one of the most powerful thing like both of my parents have always been supportive I mean they're still parents 
like, <laughs> but they're mad loving and supporting. Like at the bottom line, like I can see it. Like yeah. I know that they love me to bits, but they're still parents. They like, have to still be parents. Stupid. Like this, I have. I I was in the the Etihad magazine. You know, like the yeah, in flight Etihad yeah, yeah. magazine. So. <laughs> Like a month ago, I'm like, hey, dad, look, I'm in Etihad magazine. And he goes, but why not Emirates magazine? I'm like, dude, really? That's, you, can, that's, you can never make him happy in that sense. I really, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's my dad, though. I love him. Um, it pushes you a little bit more. It pushes you. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. yeah, why am I not in the Emirates magazine? What is this Etihad magazine that, yeah. Um, so, so then basically you go to London. What's happening? I go to London. You show up, no plan, no nothing. <laughs> no plan, no nothing. It was a winter. I had uh, managed to find a little spot. There was no heating. It was the middle of the winter. Like that typical story of, you know, having to like... Struggle. Wear, struggle, yeah. Um, I did that. And then I... One of the, the, the very cool moments that I had was within three weeks, I'd say, I was sitting in a house, at a fireplace on, the phone was ringing, I had Wi-Fi, I was sitting on my laptop, like everything was like sorted you in got three it weeks. Set up. I got everything set up yeah. in three weeks. And then I went back to Holland just to visit the family and friends again. And I went, holy crap, like everyone's still the, the same. same as I left them. And in three weeks, I've just set up an entire life. Like I build a home yeah. in three weeks time. And that just showed me, I was like, okay, if I can do that in three weeks, what else can I do in the next three or in the yeah. next five weeks or in the next six weeks? And I just start doing that. So every like four weeks, I fly back and I go back to London and like do as much as I can. Go back to Holland, look at everyone in the same spot, go back to London, do a bunch of shit. And yeah, I just kept doing that. You have, that's a good balance too, the fact that you, because London is similar to New York where I can see a lot of people burning out because they go so hard. It's very intense. That, yeah, it's very intense. And you go to, um, Holland and you can kind of chill yeah. and you hang out with your homies yeah. say how you doing yeah, that's like me Absolutely. going back to Vancouver now that's exactly what it is like everyone's doing their same thing you love them to death Yeah. but this life's not for everyone man no. like this grind and a lot of uncertainty and pushing yourself it's not for everybody no I, that's something that I've learned and once I've learned that I started to appreciate that you know what I mean like this hustling and uncertainty which is a, a very intense word uh i was actually listening to a podcast on bbc uh yeah. last night about uncertainty and i think it's also such a powerful thing this uncertainty and this hustling grind and learning that it's not for everyone i was like okay that makes me special that, that the fact that i can still sit here like i've launched maybe like 10 companies in my lifetime already yeah. i'm 31 i'm like you probably patented 500 things as well. Yeah, probably. You know? <laughs> probably. Uh, I mean, not all of them succeed, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's life. That's life. Like, yeah. I have to take 99 punches to the face for, like, one good thing to happen. And not everyone sees... But even that one good thing to happen, it's, it, it wouldn't have happened if you hadn't taken the 99 punches. 100%. So yeah. I think that's what a lot of times we don't really appreciate. Yeah all those failures all the times we faltered led us to that one big break we're like yeah yeah I got finally, it. yeah okay cool let's ride this way for a while now shall we this is wonderful yeah the way we'll come crashing down eventually yeah. really yeah. right now it's nice yeah, yeah yeah so you're you go to london you're doing this you're setting things up yeah. how do you end up getting 
Like, how do I say it? How do I say it properly? Issue. Issue. How, yeah. how does this happen? Was there something before issue? Yeah, there was a couple of things before issue. So it all What like, was the first one? Um, I'd say in 2011. So I graduated in 2010 from the university. Yeah, I got my bachelor in 2010. What were you doing at the university? I did uh, business management, economics, advertising, marketing, and innovation. Okay. Quite That's a lot. a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite a lot. Uh, <laughs> I just started out really fast. And then I actually like specialized, which is really weird when I think about it. I specialized in endorsements and celebrity product placement and value around celebrities. Did you even realize why you were doing it no, at the time? No idea. Absolutely no idea. It was really, my dissertation is that it was like a study between Nike, Adidas, then the top football players, then like surveying people going, who's your f- favorite football player? And I'd be like, oh, David Beckham. I'm like, who's David Beckham's sponsor? They were like, Adidas? Or yeah. like, I don't know, where does he play? Manchester United. And like, synchronous, I made this like this mad, crazy, like mad sum to like try and calculate people's value based on perception. I don't know. Perception's an interesting thing. I just came from Khan, man. Yeah. That's it's all perception. It's all perception. It's all perception. Oh, you're at, you're at that event? You're yeah. at that party? Yeah. And then people go off that, oh, there must there must be something to this person because they got here. Yeah. yeah. Perception, man. Perception is the only reality. And that's what you found through that. Yeah. Would you say that? Because someone actually said this earlier uh, as well, I think yesterday, um, perception being reality. I think it was actually the Aladdin movie. Oh, really? I was watching the Aladdin movie and Will Smith said something like that. Oh, really? Yeah. I still need to watch that. It wasn't bad, man. It was, again, it's, I love Disney. I'm a yeah. big Disney guy. 100%. But, yeah. Grew up on that. <laughs> exactly. Right. That's yeah. nostalgic. But something about, again, how we live, perception becomes reality. But then a lot of times people kind of neglect maybe the substance aspect or, or they start becoming so focused on the perception. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to figure this out. I don't know. I'm just rambling. Yeah, right no, now, I mean, Instagram is a good, it's a good yeah. like... Because um, you meet a lot of these people and then you say, wait a minute, there's not much more to them. Yeah. They haven't really dived deep into uh, unpacking their own journey. It's, very, or, it's like a shell. It's like very superficial, just on the outside. But at the end of the day, it's about what's on the inside that really matters. And that's what leads to longevity. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I think Jay Cole says it a lot, but he uh, interviewed Lil Pump. And it just I've brought it up maybe once before on the show where he... Uh, He's interviewing him and Lil Pump says, oh, you know, it took me, I made some kid made some beats and I started rapping and then I got big in a few months. And J. Cole's looking at him and he's like, this kid has no idea what he's in for. Because J. Cole's been doing this work for 10, 15 years. Yeah. Right. And that leads to, you know, you're good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so even, yeah, that's fascinating, man. So you said perception. So you did a whole freaking dissertation on this. Yeah. On, on particularly that out of all, I don't know why or how. And I did it. And so I graduated. Um, and then 2011, no, 2010, me and my best friend in Holland, um, we, we created a company called Footballers Life. Okay. And what footballerslife.com was, it was, so remember when Twitter first introduced pictures? Yep. So it used to be a link. So then you wouldn't see the actual picture. Yeah, you have, yeah, yeah. You yeah, would yeah, see yeah. a link and then you click the link and then it would take you to a picture. Yeah. So I learned to code and figured out like a little API that would grab any, every single tweet of a particular person or whoever that's selected. And if they had a link, this website would turn that link into an image. And then I would basically essentially have a profile of just their pictures. So what we did was we created Footballers Life, which yeah. is soccer for 
Americans. Yeah, football. That's uh, what I know. I know. <laughs> you're, you're, you're hating on our NFL. I get yeah, it. Okay, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, and so what I did was with Football's Life, you let's say you followed a football team like Arsenal or Chelsea or Manchester City, you would go to Football's Life and select Manchester City, and then you would see the personal pictures. So it was like a, you made Instagram before, like in 2010. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I'm So that was the whole Twitter thing, and then uh, Instagram came about after 2012, I think it was or something yeah. like that. And then my thing crashed because everyone just went, might as well go to Instagram now. But you must have been saying, I bet. I, I mean, was pissed. What are you yeah, on? Yeah, I was pissed. What the hell, yeah. man? What, what, what was going through your mind when you saw Instagram? Well, I was pissed for a very short period, and then I was like, oh, it's pretty cool that... You were thinking... That I was thinking so this. did that kind of validate you that, yo, we were thinking about the right thing? I, yeah, if I validated myself, definitely getting validation from anyone else. Yeah. Even though we promoted, like, I'm pretty sure you Google it, like, we had all these, like, football players, like, shouting us out, like, tweeting about us. Yeah. And we had, like, thousands of followers and people, like, going to the website doing really well and then after a while just like you know twitter started showing the picture and then instagram came about and then we made it redundant then basically yeah um, um but yeah that was the year after university and then after that started a marketing company uh then got acquired what was a marketing company that went <coughs> to that um so i sort of like created a uh, just like an agency because i built like this network of all these like athletes through footballers live and I started doing like image and sponsorship deals, like the Nike deals and Adidas contracts for these guys. So and you were doing it for them? Yeah, like on a personal level. And um, then IMG, International Management Group yeah. came along. Um, they met this guy in this like really random scenario in a room where Alicia Keys was there, David Beckham was there, Michael Phelps was there, Serena Williams was there, Coldplay was there. That's an interesting like, group of people. Mad interesting group of people, yeah. <laughs> so weird. It was the Wimbledon and yeah. Jay-Z was there. Yeah. Um, Beyonce was there. They were performing at Hyde Park for Wireless Festival at okay. the same time at Wimbledon here in London. Yeah. And this was in 2011. Yeah, 2011. Yeah. 2012, something like that. And um, yeah, I met this guy randomly. Turns out he was the vice president of IMG. Never, never random, man. It was meant to be. Dude. Okay, you know what? It's actually funny too. I don't think I've ever told this story. How I met this guy, right? So I'm at this football player's birthday, which is why I was in that VIP section of that that place. And um, so we're sitting at the table, all eyes on us. He was like this Chelsea football player, huge guy. You did and, his contracts? Yeah, I did his contracts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but opposite us at the table, there was an empty table, and there's this one guy just sitting there by himself. For like a good like 40 minutes, no yeah. joke, in the middle of the night. Was he sitting know? there drinking or you just sitting there? He was just sitting there, just holding a beer or something, but yeah. he's sitting at the table. Yeah. And the whole club's just like basically looking at us. Well, it's a VIP section, and like looking at us. And uh, I'm like looking at this guy, I'm like, dude, are you okay? Like, I'm like, do you want a drink or something? Like, come join, like, it's a mad party. We don't know half of these people. It's yeah. fine, like, just come. He's like, no, 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 I'm okay, I'm good. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. So all of a sudden, like the guy, I noticed him like looking. You know, like when you feel eyeballs on you. Yeah, like, you okay. can feel it. So after a while, I'm like, I'm walking to the to the bathroom of the club, and Michael is where Michael is the toilet guy at this club, right? This is at the Hilton here in uh, Park Lane. And, and the, the guy that's cleaning the, the the toilet guy. Did you guys have that here where there's someone that chills there that gives you mints? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Okay. And Michael is this guy that 
works at the toilet, but he's a lovely human, right? See, like, the fact that you're homies with them, that's a big thing for me too, man, is just spending time with them too. But this is where the story goes. So I see Michael, I hadn't seen him in like two weeks. I used to go to the club all the time. And like we go, like I drop him off like at home in the cab because it was on the way to my house. You dropped like, Michael off, yeah. Michael, I so you were there for a while one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, dude, I haven't seen you in like two, three weeks, what's up, blah, blah, blah. And the guy from the VIP was sitting opposite us like I don't know where he followed. He went to the bathroom too, yeah. and he looks at me. He's like, "You're a cool dude, man." I was like, "Who is this guy? Like, following me to the bathroom, telling me I'm cool or whatever?" And um, he was like, "Yeah, I've been watching you. You're mad cool. Like, you're you're good people. You're good people." I was like, "All right, cool. Thanks, man." That's an American guy. And then uh, I go back to the to the VIP bit, and um, all of a sudden, David Beckham, Alicia Keys, Coldplay, Serena Williams, everyone comes in. Where do they sit? With the guy at the table. Opposite uh, hours. He was like, dude, do you want to come here for a drink after a while? I was like, yep. <laughs> exactly. So all eyes went to them, you know, and it was Serena Williams' manager, uh, Carlos Fleming. Yeah, and he's, he's the vice president of IMG. He manages the biggest stars on the planet. He's a great person. How interesting is that, man? The fact that you just saw him as a human being you didn't treat him any differently at the time. Yeah. And it just like, it, you're like, what? The Latin Mia spot at IMG, <laughs> which was amazing. So, so you worked at IMG then? For four and a half years here in London. Yeah. Damn. And that was, that was the main thing. That was, was the, you probably followed up with him afterwards. Yeah. That catapulted the whole thing. Yeah. So you, when you connected with him that night, then you probably got his email or something. You followed. I didn't, I didn't act, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't know who he was until like, a week later or something. I think that's a big thing, the fact that you didn't know who he was. Yeah. Because he's probably used to people kissing his butt. Probably. I mean, if you're surrounding yourself with David Beckham and like Serena Williams and Jay-Z and them, what, you're doing all right. But like for a long time, like we just stayed in touch as like, you know, hey, what's up? Like he's like, oh, do you yeah. ever want to go send to court tickets? Like I got you, whatever. So I was like, yeah, I'd love that. You know, like take my friends out or whatever. And then like he started asking me questions about what I did and I told him about Footballers Live and like all this like marketing stuff and he was like, you know what, like go to IMG in London and you know, I think it'll be Seems really Seems like cool. he started mentoring you. In yeah, in, in a sense. Like yeah. just by helping you with resources, <coughs> by being there as a soundboard. Being supportive, you Bro, know what I mean? That's the key, I think. There's something funny I remember I, I saw, I said to someone, I said, uh, when you have just someone telling you that they believe in you, it's a huge thing. It's huge. Right? Especially when it's a white guy that's like a bit bald and you're like, damn, man, yeah. you believe in me? Yeah, thanks, bro. Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. What, what the? <laughs> you, you mean it? Yeah, you can do it. You're like, it's, it's, it, it helps, man. It pushes yeah. you even more. Absolutely. Right? You're Absolutely. doing this at that time. So then you went to IMG. What was that like? That was amazing. That was a, a very interesting learning curve again. Like, um, it's a corporate, so you're part of the system. You have to play your part. Um, you can't go out of your way. Like you can, but you can't. You know. So there was a there was a lot of stuff happening. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I really learned a lot. Um, and then at uh, what happened was William Morris merged with IMG. Like oh, they couple, did. Yeah, it was like a couple billion dollar merger, and it was done by Ari Emanuel. Okay. Who was um, Ari Emanuel was huge in the in the LA, bro. It was in the, the Entourage too. Ari Gold, yeah, yeah. It was based on him. yeah. He's Mark Wahlberg's uh, agent. Yeah. 
Um, so I was like one of like the six people to like help the uh, Ari like merge with IMG here in, in London, like with our office here. Is IMG the biggest one out here? Because so, there's CAA out in LA, yeah. right? Then I'm actually reading CAA's book right now and they're talking a lot about... Um, uh, Ari? Oh, no, no, Ari, what would you just said again? Uh, what's the company? Uh, not the one that merged with IMG? WME. WME, yeah, yeah. They talk a lot about WME and how everything was changing there yeah. as well. The culture... Because I'm fascinated with CAA and just the history of Michael Ovitz, um, the Young Turks, so on and so forth. We can yeah. have a deep discussion on that, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but you, they did this big, so IMG was focused fully on sports. Yeah, that was their main thing. So and then WME, this, the entertainment side. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's similar to like in the actual Entourage show, that's at some point I think Ari Gold was bringing a football team to LA or something, wasn't he? He started, there's a lot of sports things that were happening. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so that happened in real life too. IMG and William Morris got together. William Morris being the entertainment side, IMG was very like sports driven, Wimbledon, uh, like Premier League football, basketball, everything basically, syndication, they own the rights to everything, um, stadiums, Olympics was huge. So like, um, yeah, that was a very, very interesting merger. And then I just had one of those moments where I'm like, if this person can put this merger together. Why can't I do that? You know what I mean? Like, why don't I just do this for myself? Or like, it makes so much sense if I did, you know? Yeah. And um, without thinking twice, I quit. Um, and everyone's like, what is wrong what are you? you? Doing what that? are you yeah. doing, dude? That's it's like it. leaving like a Google position or a Facebook position. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, why like why are you crazy what happened man who broke your heart yeah it's like did you get fired because a lot of people during the merger got fired like got fired they did huh yeah, loads of people i was like no i definitely did not get fired like, why did they fire so many people it's just abundant and like a lot like it was because it's a corporate so there's a lot of problems like communication wise and then when an outsider comes in they're like what are you doing like and that's what happened with ing with your worst like I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, by the way, but yeah. You don't have to, no, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. but um, that's the, that's uh, what happened. Like, a lot of people got fired, and because the best thing in business to do is fix problems, right? So that's what companies do when they merge with other companies. They look for these little inefficiencies, and they try and solve these little problems, and um, yeah. So they, they, they did really well, and they're doing really well, IMG and William Morris right now. It's interesting because the CAA when they broke uh, broke uh, off of uh, was it William Morris? I can't remember what company they used to be a part William of. Morris. Yeah, I think it might have been as well. Yeah. It was because it, w it was very uh, hierarchical and also the communication was really bad. Terrible. So CAA became focused on it has to be communication. Get the ego out of the way. If one agent can't do it, give it to another agent. Exactly. So what they did was like they took away all of our offices and made everything open plan. And uh, like they took like away the door. Alley. Yeah, like one of them ones, you know. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, I've been working here for years. I've worked my way into an office and having a team. And like, yeah. but you know, I think again, it was, it was really worth me being there and just like learning. And I knew I would go in to leave. Like that was always- You were never, you, even your life just by listening to a bit of it, it doesn't seem like you're always someone that's just gonna stay. No, uh, it was like school. That's how I looked at it. I was like, I need to be in school for three or four years. And yeah. that's, that's what I did. Like- It's a means to an end. Exactly. I need to get this, and then this next level was I need to the relationships you built. Is exactly. that? Yeah. Oh man. And then yeah, I built up a crazy network, and then I was like, okay, so I left. What are my assets? What can I do with what I have now? 
and what can I build now? And then, um, yeah, build the company. Are you so okay? was that after uh, the William? Was that after the IMG, the William Morris, all that? Um, yeah, there was another. Well, there is another company that I still own and run, um, which is Axisol Brands, and that was on the back of IMG and William Morris, and um, basically not to like drag it out but it was like the first influencer marketing app i know influencer marketing now is very like everyone's talking about it or it's like a huge thing now but again this was you said 2012 2013 yeah that's, this is 2014 like, yeah this yeah. is five six years that's ago. a long time that's a long time ago for influencer marketing long right time ago. yeah there was no instagram influencers and stuff um so yeah, I had that idea because I had all these like celebrities and famous people on my books that I knew. And I was like, oh, why don't I just like connect them with these brands that want to pay ridiculous amounts of money? Yeah. And, um, and I had all these athletes and actors and musicians and stuff. And then that started doing really well. Really, really well. Yeah. Like really well. And it just blew my mind. I was like, how is this? How is no one else doing this? How is there no competition in this space? And then I wanted to scale it. And then in the midst of scaling it, I came up with Issue. And then mm. Issue sort of took over. Um, so basically the idea was, I have an influencer marketing app. How do I get more influencers to scale my business? I need to create something that people, like influencers, celebrities really need. Yeah. So I came up with the scarf and the clothes and the anti-paparazzi. Well, anti I want to I want to talk about that too. It's yeah. a, usually we do these episodes for an hour on Dash Radio and then the, the, another half hour on SoundCloud too, because like it's there's a lot of stuff, man, that I got to ask of an issue. Um, so we're gonna be right back. You're listening to the conversation on Rocket Saudi Radio and Dash, and this man is interesting ass dude. Goddamn. <laughs> Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the latest on Ruckus Avenue Radio. What's up, everybody? You're back with a conversation on Ruckus Avenue Radio and Dash. And man, damn, you've been through a lot, dude. <laughs> Your life is, it's crazy. The, it the things sounds like you... a lot when I talk about it, too. I'm like, holy crap, that is a lot. Dude, I'm thinking about just how it all adds up and it compounds and it makes you get to, like, issue. Yeah. Because beforehand, again, from the outsider's perspective, when I see it, it's it's definitely an issue because a lot of celebrities want privacy. Yeah. But how would, to my mind, is how would someone even get to that point where they say, hey, this is an issue? Yeah. And now it makes sense. But so, okay, you're meeting all these celebrities, you're hanging out, and yeah. are they talking to you about this? What are they saying? Well, I mean, it's a, it's a known fact, right? Like, seeing Princess Diana and, like, Michael Jackson name his kid Blanket and... Yeah. I mean, paparazzi is always thing, and I'm out and about with like football players and like them walking out of clubs and you know what I mean. So I've seen paparazzi. What was it like, man? Whenever you walk out of a club, then with the paparazzi yeah. stuff, it was crazy, insane. Like it's like there's so many paparazzi flashes that it looks like someone switched on the light. That's really? how like constant and fast and like no one cares. Like no sense of space. Everyone's on top of each other and anything for that picture and. So I've seen it. And like, it hurts. You know, how do your eyes feel, man? <laughs> and it's, it's, I don't understand how people can like keep a straight face. You get like, it feels like walls are closing in on you. It's so, such a bad feeling Yeah. of like being in that light and like everyone shouting your name and like you don't know where to look. Like every angle of you is being scanned and analyzed and judged 
and could be in the papers the next morning for something that might not even be true. Like, it's really intense. It's really weird to see. Yeah. Um, so the whole paparazzi thing, I've always, like, being in London out and about, I've, like, I've seen it. So I know it's an issue. Um, so then I just decided, you know, let me make something to try and help these people. And yeah, that's why our issue. With, who was telling you? Was there one athlete that was saying, you know what? No, man? not particularly. It was just me going, okay, I think you guys need this. You yeah, see it, it, huh? yeah, yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like someone coming up to me going, "Oh, Steph, can you make this?" Yeah. No, it was more like me going, "Okay." You I'm, saw a problem. You said there has to be a solution to there this. There has to be a solution to this. And yeah, it was a very easy solution to me. It made yeah. so much sense in my head. Like people now are like, "How did you come up with it?" And like, "Where did you go?" And what did you do? Like, what was the first step? Whereas to me, I'm like, it's so easy. I'm like, you have a laptop. Yeah. You can Google a factory or anyone and send out a bunch of emails and see who responds and follow up and actually go do it. But, but, but you just hit the nail on the head. You said actually go do it. Actually go do it. That's, That's the, the hardest part. It's, actually going and doing it. It is. It, it's not the hardest part. It's a very important part. Yeah. Like the idea is is part of it, the doing it, and then making it work. Executing. Executing, yeah. and then keeping it there, and then improving it. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. So doing it isn't even everything. I like you know that, I mean? yeah. Like, let's say, like, I, I meet with a lot of, like, young entrepreneurs, and they're like, okay, I, just, I really want to start a company, but, you know, it's taking me three weeks to go to company house to register. I'm like, dude, why three weeks? Yeah. Like, it would take me half an hour. <laughs> to register a company. Yeah. The name of my brand issue, which blasted everyone up, I came up with the day before I had to trademark it. Like, I didn't spend thousands of dollars on the name. I didn't spend thousands of dollars on a logo. I didn't spend hours behind Photoshop, wasting time trying to figure out whether my logo should be a circle or a square. I mean, it's kind of important, yeah. but it's not everything. You know what I mean? But it seems like someone like yourself, you understood that because of all the stuff you went through. Yeah. You saw how, okay, I get it. I get it. Like everyone else kind of gets caught up. Again, like you said, the perception aspect, it, they get caught up in that. Whereas you started seeing, okay, I understand. You understand that. Mm-hmm. But you also realize, hey, um, I like I can't focus just on a lot of this. The How do they say it? The semantics. You're like, I got to look at everything. I got to look at other things as well. Yeah. So what, what happens with issue, how do you even make something? Like, can you explain it to the people that are listening? Okay, so for the people that don't know it, it's basically uh, a couple of years ago, I came up with a scarf which has this uh, pattern. It's like this diamond pattern which helps the camera focus on the pattern. And when you use flash pictures, it absorbs the flash, sends it back into the camera. It's like a reflective which has been enhanced with like tiny crystals on top. An invisibility cloak like Harry Potter, right? That's exactly. what people have been saying. That's what people have been saying, which is crazy to me to call it something from Harry Potter. Are you a Harry Potter fan or no? All on it, well, this entire thing has been so honest. Yeah. I am, I am a fan. I'm not a huge fan the same way a lot of people are. I don't know why. Maybe I just never read enough books on Harry Potter or something. I don't know. I feel like I missed, like, you know, like sometimes you meet people and their love for it. It's just it's like Harry Potter, man. Because it, it was the, they Harry grew Potter up with man. it. Yeah, they grew up with uh, it. So I, I get up. it. Yeah. I didn't really grow up with it. I was too busy being in India, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. So I just, modeling, you know, modeling, you're doing, modeling, you know. You're doing a lot of different things. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it, it's a huge thing. Like, I know how it's the biggest franchise in the world. And like, huge, man. 
I, I don't want to jinx it, but hopefully one day I'll be able to like work with those guys on something in the invisibility cloak space. So if anyone's listening, um, so yeah, uh, you gotta shoot your shot, man. Yeah, you, you, you never know. You never know who's listening to this. Uh, but yeah, Warner Brothers, J.K. Rowling, are you there? No. Okay. Um, yeah. So the media picked it up as that as the invisibility cloak. Who was the first person to wear it? Celebrity-wise. Yeah. Um. It was. Well, so this is how I launched it. I had one scarf. And then I work. South Asian music and culture can be found around the world. We track down the best and present it here for you on Ruckus Avenue Radio.